Welcome to the church family that is lifting lives through living love, inspiring hope, filling with faith, and transforming our world. These recorded messages are made available so that you might have additional opportunities to stay connected with us, and then you might learn and grow in your faith. God bless you as you hear the word today. And now, the message. Today's reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 24, verses 10 through 21. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set up for Aram Naharam and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God, my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, for those of you who were here last week and endured the Sodom and Gomorrah story, uh, consider this like, you know, a palate cleanser. Uh, This is like the counterweight to the story. Last week was judgment and destruction, and this week is is marriage and family and love. So, uh, but we'll see that these, yes, they're counterweighted, but they are These stories are complementary and connected in important ways. Now, today's story is what we call a type story. It's a story that follows a familiar pattern in the Bible. Boy meets girl by a well, and a marriage ensues. So the story, this kind of type story plays out. Uh, Isaac's son, Jacob, meets his wife, Rachel, by a well. Later on, Moses meets his wife, Zipporah, by a well. It's kind of a, a story that plays out again and again in the Bible. Think of the well like, you know, like the bar in, you know, in the 90s, or maybe eHarmony at the day's world. It's where Single people looking to get connected meet one another. Except in this case, the servant was not looking for a mate for himself. He was looking for a match for his master's son. Now, just to give you kind of the background here, it had been 40 years since Abraham left his father's household and set off for the land of Canaan, you know, responding to God's call. And there in the land of Canaan, God had blessed Abraham richly with, with prosperity and wealth and flocks. And he had his huge household. And finally, late in his life, God finally blessed Abraham with a son, an heir named Isaac. 
And the last thing that, I, that Abraham wants to do on behalf of Isaac, before he passes away, the last thing he wants to do is he wants to make sure Isaac has a suitable mate, a partner in life, just like he's had Sarah throughout all of his journeys. But here's the trick. He does not want Isaac to marry a local Canaanite woman because the local Canaanite women, they, they follow different religions, they worship different gods, and he didn't want that within his family. No, it had to come from one of his kinsmen back in Haram where they worshiped Yahweh. But he didn't want to send Isaac back to Haran to seek out his own bride because he was afraid if I send him back, he will settle there. He'll become part of the families there. He'll, he won't return back to this place that God has promised to me and my descendants. And so Abraham has the plan. I'm going to send my servant up to Haran to seek out a, a suitable match there. Now just, you know, take that in for just a second. This is Abraham's command to his servant. Go to a land that you've never been to before and seek out my family that I haven't seen in 40 years. And not only do I want you to find a match for my son there, but then you have to convince that woman to leave with you to go you know, to a place that she's never been to marry a, a man that she's never met. That's the servant's task. Understandably, the servant is a little bit doubtful about his success. He says to Abraham, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. And Abraham says, Psh, come on, ye of little faith. God will send an angel ahead of you, and there you will find uh, a woman to take for my son. I'm sure their servant was like an angel. Right. Okay. But he follows his master's orders. And by the time we get to today's story, the servant has traveled 500 miles, a journey that would have taken multiple weeks. And he has arrived at the city of Nahor at a city at a well outside the city. And even though he's traveled for weeks, this is now the hardest part of his journey because now this servant must find Abraham's kinsman, his task begins, and he has no idea how to start. And so he begins with, you know, probably a good place to start, which is prayer. We'll call this part one of the story, prayer. And I, we're going to kind of dive into this prayer just a little bit. The first thing the servant asks for is he asks for God to grant him success. Oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. That's a good thing to pray for, Right. Except notice when he says, give me success, it's not a very self-centric prayer. It's not like, give me success so that I may climb up the ladder, so that my master may reward me. Rather, he grounds his prayer for success in God's faithfulness. He says, and show steadfast love. The Hebrew word there is hesed. We'll come back to that in a moment. Show hesed, show steadfast love, covenant loyalty to my master Abraham. He grounds his prayer for success. In the narrative of God's continued steadfast love, his covenant loyalty to his master, Abraham. And then he says, he kind of narrates where he is. He says, I am standing here by the spring of water and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. I always think it's funny whenever you start narrating to God where you are, as if God did not know exactly where this servant was, right? He knew exactly, but here's my point. 
Sometimes when we're praying, especially if we're facing some, something that you know, scares us, something that's daunting, intimidating, something that we're unsure around, a good place to start is just to narrate your life to God. Just to say, you know, here's, here's where I'm at, God. Right now, I'm feeling kind of unsure about this decision. I'm scared about this opportunity. I'm, I'm nervous about this step. Or I, I'm, I'm confused about what I should do. Or I'm sad because of this thing or this person that I miss. Or I'm angry because I don't want to be here at all. Sometimes we just have to be honest with God about where we're at. Even if it's not where we want to be. We just narrate where we are. And we invite God to meet us in that place. Because that's what the servant then does. He says, so let the girl to whom I shall say, please offer, go to the next slide if you don't mind. Let the girl to whom I shall say, please offer your joy. Please offer your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. That's his prayer. But there's a particular pattern there. I've highlighted him in blue on the screen for you to see. Let the girl to whom I shall say, please offer your jar. Let her be the one to whom you have appointed. Those words, let her be, to me, they echo the words that came at the very beginning of Genesis in the story of creation, where God spoke, not let her be, her be, but let there be light. You know, if you remember, I preached a sermon on this like a year ago, and I'm sure you held on to this information, but that particular grammatical structure, let there be or let her be, it's known as a jussive. And a jussive is, is a very particular grammatical form. It's, it's not an imperative. It's not a command. Make it so. Rather, it's a, it's a softer invitation. It's a call. It's, it's, a, it's opening up space in which someone else can act. Let there be. And so Andy Crouch, writing about that, he says, when the words, let there be, speaking of God's creation, when the words, let there be, ring through the universe, they accomplish very, very literally what they describe, the creation of being where there was none before. New beings come into existence, each with their own capabilities, potential, and sphere of influence. By saying, let there be, the creator makes room for more being for more agents who could utter their own, let there be. And in response to that divine justice, acting in the space opened up by God's creative power, they will engage in their own acts of creativity. And that's what the servant does. He speaks his own, let there be. And by so doing, he opens up space in which the God of creation can move and act and bring about a new thing. That's his prayer. Let there be. And no sooner does he finish praying, then lo and behold, a woman appears coming to the well. Her name is Rebecca. And now we enter into part two of the story, which I say, you know, is, part two is discernment. And, and, and the servant discerns three things about Rebecca pretty quickly. The first thing he discerns is that she is very pretty. That's what the Bible says. He says, 
you know, that girl was very fair to look upon. That's, that means she's hot, right? Like she's a hottie. And he sees that right off the bat. But I wanna, and I don't want to discount that, right? Like it is important. There, there, you know, in any kind of love story, there is an attraction. When I counsel, you know, you know prospective uh, brides and grooms, you know, premarital counseling, and I usually ask them, you know, how did you meet? And I always ask the question, what's the first thing you saw? A lot of times I'll say, oh, I noticed he was cute or she was cute. You know, like there's a moment of attraction that's important. But my point is, is that often in a lot of love stories, that's as far as the discernment goes, especially in our image obsessed culture. Like we just swipe left and swipe right. And the only thing we're discerning is outward physical appearance. Where I think about TV shows like The Bachelor, Ah, uh, Temptation Island, even worse, like uh, Love at First Sight. Like these are all shows in our culture where people are discerning their partner for life. And what do they do? They focus very much on the outside. There's very little discernment that goes beyond the physical appearance. And the wise servant recognizes, yeah, I see she's pretty, but I need to discern a little bit more. And this is the wisdom of the task that he gives to God. Like when I pray, hey, you know, when I ask, give me some water, let her be the one who says, not only will I give you water, but I'll take care of your camels also. Because that act will reveal to the servant, not just Rebecca's appearance, but her character. That she's kind and compassionate. That she sees the need of an outsider and a stranger, and she offers hospitality to him. Not only she offers hospitality, but she goes the extra mile and provides water for all the camels. Ten camels that have been crossing the desert for 500 miles. Can you imagine how much water she had to give to those camels? She went the extra mile. And the whole time, what is the servant doing? He is watching her. He is discerning her character. And then he has to discern one thing more. He takes out a few gifts, you know, a nose ring, weighing a half shekel, some bracelets that weigh like 10 shekels of gold. And he gives them, these are, these are valuable gifts, but they're just a taste of everything he has stored up in those camels, right? But he, he gives her these gifts far outweighing the value of the, of the water he just received. But he wants her, he's trying to earn a little bit of trust with her. And he says, tell me, whose daughter are you? And he frames it as I'm looking for a place to stay. Is there room in your master's house? But really, he wants to know the answer to the question, whose daughter are you? And Rebecca replies. And when she says who her father is, this servant knows, oh, that's Abraham's nephew. This woman, Rebecca, is Abraham's brother's granddaughter. <clears throat> and he recognizes, you know, it's, it's not just that she has the right looks, that she has the right character, but she's from the right family. And instantly what he discerns is not just that she is the one, he discerns that God has indeed been leading him to the right person at the right moment. He sees God's fingerprints all over. This was not random chance. This was divine will. That's what he discerns. And once he discerns God's movement among him, 
he falls down and prays in doxology, which is part three of the story. Praise and doxology. He, he says, blessed be the man, or blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. I'm sure Rebecca at this point is thinking, this guy is crazy. What, what am I doing with him? But he can't help it. He just worships God. And I just want to point this out. There's the movement of the story. It goes from prayer to discernment, and it ends in praise. That's a beautiful pathway through any big decision that's before us, right? Prayer, discernment, ending in praise and doxology. And in particular, I want to point out two words in his praise. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, because he has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. Kindness and faithfulness. These are two big Hebrew words. Kindness, hesed. I said I was going to get loop back to that word again in Hebrew, hesed. Faithfulness, Met. These are the themes of, this, of today's story. God's hesed, his steadfast love and kindness. And God's emet, his faithfulness and his trustworthiness. That's the theme of our story today. Now, as you go back a week, I told you we were going to connect back to Sodom and Gomorrah. There were two Hebrew words we studied last week, tzedakah and mishpat, Righteousness and justice. And it's not that these words are against each other, not at all. They are complementary to each other. Mishpat and Sadakah and Hesed and Emet. The, the way they work together is like this Righteousness and justice, they sustain order, they set boundaries, they create conditions in which goodness, kindness, and faithfulness can grow and flourish. Does that make sense? Or let me put it this way. Righteousness and justice, they safeguard the goodness of creation. The kindness and faithfulness, they're what makes creation good. That's what we live for. That's what we're designed for. And we see God's hesed and God's emet, his kindness and faithfulness, reflected all over in this story. We see it reflected in the characters of the story. We see God's faithfulness in a servant who would follow his master's orders and visit a town 500 miles away, who would humbly pray, God, you know, lead me in this space, who would open up space in which God could act. That's God's faithfulness. And we see God's kindness and a young woman who, when she sees a stranger who needs water, she offers water to him and goes the extra mile even to take care of his animals. We see God's hesed and emet in the reunification, the reconnection of a family that's been separated by four decades of distance. And we see God's hesed and faithfulness and emet, his faithfulness, in the close of the story. If we skip all the way to the end, when Isaac and Rebecca first meet... It is, in some levels, love at first sight. Isaac sees Rebecca. He takes her into his tent to become his wife. And I love this. He married Rebecca, and he loved her. This wasn't just a cold, arranged marriage. No, the end of the story is love and faithfulness. Hesed 
and I met. It's what the story is all about. It's what God wants for each and every one of our lives. Faithfulness and kindness lived out in relationship with those around us. So I back you up just a little bit, you know, in the story. We're going to jump back from the epilogue. The servant, you know, when he says to Rebecca, you know, like, you know, what he explains to her the task that he's been given, why he fell down and prays. Rebecca runs off. She meets her family, calls her brother Laban to come back, and Laban begins negotiating. And then they all agree this is all God's work. God's over all of this. And then the servant asks Laban, the brother, a crucial question. It says, uh, the servant, oh, go, go to the next slide if you don't mind. He, he says, I put the ring, like he's narrating his history with, with Laban. He says, I put the ring in her nose, the bracelets on her arms. I bowed down and I worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me on the right road to the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. And then he puts the question to Laban. He says, now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to me, tell me now. Did you catch that? He uses those same words. He says, now, if you will show hesed and emet to me and to my master, tell me now. The point is the servant tells Laban this great story of God's goodness and faithfulness. And then he puts the question to him, will you participate in this story now? Will you be part of this story of God's goodness and faithfulness and kindness to my master? And to me, that's a story worth reflecting on for each of us. God's kindness and faithfulness is all over the world. His story is being unfolded around us. Will you participate in the story of his goodness? In what ways does your life reflect God's kindness and faithfulness? If you were to take stock of your relationships... Take stock of the work that you do, you know, your everyday life, day in, day out. How would you rate your own hesed, your own emet? How present and loyal are you in your relationships with others? There's room for probably all of us to grow in those areas, myself included. And I thought about ending the sermon there, just reflecting on our own hesed, our own emet. But then I realized that's really not what the story is about, because that's an evaluative question. Like it's, it calls for us to evaluate our own lives. But this story isn't about evaluation. It's about discernment, about discerning, not just discerning the right choice, you know, the right girl for this boy, but rather discerning how God is moving in the story. This is the interesting part of the story is that God never appears as a character. He never speaks. He never physically shows up. Abraham tells the servant, God will send his angel in front of you, but we never meet an angel, neither did the servant. He never saw any kind of angel whatsoever. Instead, what he did is he prayed, and he opened up God's space in which God could act, and when he met the girl, he reached the conclusion. He, he didn't think there was any other conclusion to make, except that God had his fingerprints all over this story. He led me directly to this girl. The implication of the story is that God works through human interactions 
and human plans, even when they're half informed. He works as much through us as he does through supernatural circumstances. So we have to have eyes open to discern. And so my question to you, the better question of discernment is, how do you discern God's presence in your story? How have you seen God's hesed, his kindness, and steadfast love? How have you seen his amed, his faithfulness and trustworthiness in your story? I remember when I was uh, just beginning in ministry, yeah, we had to go before Board of Ordained Ministry and first couple interviews with churches that I had. Everywhere I went, they wanted to know my call story. Tell me your call story. That was kind of the way it always went. And I always struggled with that question because I never felt like I had a great call story. I never had a burning bush. I never had like visions. I never had like an audible voice spoken directly to me. That wasn't what my call was like. In fact, I would say half the time, you know, when I've made decisions in life, I've kind of been, you know, making them in the dark without any clear divine directive. So looking forward, often the future is a mystery to me. I can only see so far. But when I look back at where God has led, what God has done, I see God's fingerprints all over my life. Often I made choices, the best choices I could, and I didn't have any clear divine directive, and yet looking back, I can see how this choice led to this opportunity or how this decision led to that decision or how, how this you know, blind choice led me to meet this one person and how that relationship opened up all kinds of new opportunities. God has been leading every step of the way. And so I can tell you even now, like when I look in the future, I only see just so far. I wish I could see further. Man, do I wish I could see further. But I just have to take it on faith and remember that God has led me to this place and this time, to these people, to this church, to you, for this season, for this moment in our shared journeys together. And if I can remember to pray the prayer that the servant prayed, let there be. The more I open up space within my life for God to work and act in his divine way, the more and more of his blessings abound. So what is your story? What story are you passing on to the next generation? I hope and pray it's a story of God's kindness and God's faithfulness. And I hope your story is a story whereby God's faithfulness and kindness can be passed on to all those who come after. Will you join with me in prayer? Oh, wonderful and merciful God, we give you thanks for your leadership in our lives. That you are always faithful, you are always present. Even in times when we are in places we don't want to be, we trust 
For we know that even in those places, you are working to bring about something to bless us and to bless others. We pray, God, for the humility and the trust to open our lives and our hearts to you, to allow you to work your goodness and kindness in our lives and through our lives to all those with whom we share our lives. All this we pray in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus.